Hello and welcome to the Ballot Box global election coverage from a team of political scientists. I'm Jonathan Parker in London. I'm Chris Terry in Manchester. I'm Andres Besser in New York City. Okay, hello everyone and welcome to a new episode and a new year of the Ballot Box. Um, so this is obviously our first episode of 2023 and in it we are going to be looking ahead to the year um, that is to come and just sort of running down some of the the big elections that are upcoming and some of the, the less big ones that we also are, are just uh, quite excited to cover for one reason or another and same as we've done in previous years and also with the caveat that as with every year we've done this there ends up being um, quite a few kind of surprises, snap elections whatsoever as well um, coming the way. But these are the ones that we know are already uh, locked and, and scheduled in or at least are pretty certain to occur this year. Um, so, yeah, before we get to it, how are things going um, back in Manchester, Chris? Is the UK keeping OK in my absence? Yeah, yeah, we're fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it's dark um, mm-hmm. and I'm back to work after I'm, I'm having a, the experience that I'm sure many people are having right now of like, coming back to work and just being like, how do I do my job again? <laughs> 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 it's, been, it's been a while. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of, yeah, I had a, mm. I had a Tossed some time off in Romania, then I came back for two days, and then I was off again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Are there any yeah. New Year resolutions that we should that we should know about? No, I I don't make resolutions because I always break them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, that's the point. <laughs> um, I I can't trust myself to um, to hold to anything specific, so. Set, so I set kind of vague goals throughout the year that like be healthier. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, do X and Y at work, etc. Et rather mm. than trying to set myself something specific, which I know I won't do. <laughs> um, yeah, no, similar. I, I don't. I haven't really. I mean, I have done in the past, but this year I haven't bothered setting anything super specific just just generally uh try and be try and be a bit healthier but i think that's probably too boring to be a resolution um yeah at the end of the day um yeah yeah <laughs> I don't know. how about you andres um how's things going in your camp any resolutions um uh, new york is fine um you were just here and that mm-hmm. was lovely it was great having you over um i have to say the dog the dog does miss you guys um She's very happy. Oh, do, okay. Do, I'm do, very happy do. about. Yeah, <laughs> run, I... which is rare. <laughs> which is rare because she's a she's an antisocial dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, the only resolution was um to you know try to try to use Twitter less intensively, try to okay. you know not not be as addicted to that social network, um which I you know I I've I've, I've been able to do in the last five days. Um, that mm-hmm. already feels empowering, but I don't know how long it'll last. <laughs> it's too there's too much good information there to to let yeah. go too easily. I know what you mean. Yeah. Although um let's see let's see if Twitter is is around when we are doing this list next year. Um okay. uh maybe maybe Elon Musk will make your life easier um with that one. All right. Um okay, so we should we start off um 
with the elections upcoming, there is a lot to discuss, including some quite really big countries um, that are going to the polls this year. Um, so I thought we were going to start off talking about what we think are the most significant elections of the year. Um, so, and I've thought we could kind of divide this into into two categories, and, and first talk about what are the what are the obvious elections which are significant just sort of globally or regionally, what, what are going to make waves outside of that country and have a, have a broader impact as well. So what are the what are the kind of the world's most significant elections? Um, so yeah, anybody want to go first and, and nominate something? I saw you wrote down, oh, Turkey. Yeah, I thought you wrote down Turkey. That is definitely a really important yeah. election. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that, that's also, yeah, it's obviously super important for uh, Turkey as well um in the in that one um so yeah and i think we'd be we'd be a bit stupid if we hadn't put that one on the list um yeah. i think yeah just just more than in previous years it looks as though there is a real chance that the regime may be over um through this election um although we have to caveat this obviously this this is a now pretty far gone from being democratic and the chances of um uh, Erdogan, the president of turkey for people are not in the in the know about turkey politics about uh, of leaving um office um with an accepting a defeat probably fairly low i would imagine um so this is one that we have to watch is quite possibly the after election consequences are going to be pretty i would say pretty dire and um, possibly uh, mm -hmm. it's yeah, but because because he is now at this point phenomenally unpopular um, in Turkey, and every, essentially every poll shows him losing by quite large margins against almost every opposition competitor um, by like double digit leads for some of the more popular candidates, and by less for some of the others. But still, he's he's, he's now. Um, I think if, if the election is free and fair, there's, there's too much chance of him. Um, being able to pull up head on, on this point um but yeah mm. he is uh, uh it has has been known to get out of these scrapes before but also this is, this is about the lowest that he's ever been and um, been polling until this point as well um so yeah this it's a a i think potentially a bit of a dangerous situation given his his unpopularity sort of coming to terms with the autocratic nature of the regime um, at this point as well. I think one of the reasons why this is a kind of internationally important election is because it is going to display how much uh, the international community is willing to and actually has influence over a country that's undergone such extreme democratic backsliding. Um, I think given that Biden is in power in the United States, it's probably good news for um, for international influence over over elections. But, uh, well, not, I mean, not influence, I mean, international influence over the integrity of elections. So there's yeah. a better chance that um, the United States, maybe the European Union can help guarantee a degree of integrity in, in elections that other, you know, with maybe under Trump, wouldn't happen. He didn't have a lot of yeah. For yeah, you can see that very much with Brazil, for instance. That yeah, the the U.S. pressure was a clearly key to kind of securing um, Bolsonaro's um, willingness to actually hand over power fairly cleanly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, 
yeah, I, it's also significant regionally because Erdogan keeps invading everywhere um, at the end of the day. And this is this is good for sort of regional stability. And I mean, there is a caveats to this because the parties that may replace it are not particularly, uh, uh, also not particularly sort of cosmopolitan and non-nationalist. Uh, the fact that almost mm. all of them have roots in, uh, at least roots in, in kind of uh, Turkish nationalist movements. But the thing is that Ed, Ed, he's been pursuing a very expansive um, and aggressive foreign policy in the region, particularly towards Greece, um, um, also in Libya, um, is really assisting um, Azerbaijan in sort of uh, fighting Armenia um, and others as well. And then has obviously been not been the most cooperative member of NATO when it's facing one of its biggest challenges. So yes, uh, his his removal will probably be, I think, only uh, bring good things for Turkey's relations with its neighbors and allies um as well uh so yeah, yeah i mean from that point of view pretty pretty significant as well um in the, in the region it's also good i mean turkey is important for lots of reasons and then i, I think it's also going to demonstrate the difficulties and the possibilities of uniting opposition um mm -hmm. against against a, a kind of authoritarian figure when yeah. the incumbent has so many ways to pick apart the opposition. Mm. It's kind of, I think the opposition Turkey has managed um, to a large degree to coalesce around um, uh, around a kind of a single project, but I don't know. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a year full of pressure for the opposition to mm. actually remain united. And present yeah, um, and we saw in Hungary last this year, how important, it, how, Difficult it is to unite a bunch of parties whose only goal is sort of preserving democracy uh, when the, those coalitions, obviously, when confronted with the voters, often don't go super well. And with Hungary as well, the importance of selecting the right candidate, which I don't think any of us think that they they did, particularly in that election. Um, and there are, although I did say that the polling shows um, shows that um, Erdogan going down against pretty much everyone, the person who is most likely to be um uh, to, to be selected as, as the as the candidate for the presidency from the opposition um whose name i i will despite having a uh, partner born into the i will not attempt to pronounce um is the leader of the uh the chp is the largest opposition party who is sort of widely recognized as probably the least convinced one of the least convincing of the of the people that they could put up against him or have expressed interest in going up against um Ed mm. the presidency um so yeah, that's also it's also a, a, a big difficulty. Um, the coalition that has been assembled is also very broad, um, stretching it includes uh, two small parties which were formerly members of the um, uh, founded by former AKP members. It also includes um, a kind of very hardline Islamist party, um, as well as uh, the sort of two more sort of mainstream um, parties, and um, and as well there is also the 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 strong issue about the new constitution, which the AKP introduced, um, which is hyper-presidential and has, uh, it ha it's centered around this presidential figure, which has incredibly little formal as well as informal checks and balances around them. Um, and what the opposition uh, has, has done has said that the whoever is the presidential candidate must sign a pledge not to utilize these powers when they get in, because the whole point is they want to transfer back to a parliamentary system. You obviously see that it's a binding a person to a pledge. And then when they get in office, perhaps um, uh, 
being confronted with the with this this tremendous power at their disposal, um, that that they may not necessarily want to stick to that pledge um, uh, afterwards as well, um, and and for various other reasons as well, the fact that the opposition may have to rely on the um, HDP, which is this kind of left leaning um, sort of Kurdish aligned party um, as well, which is incredibly controversial in Turkey and especially for certain elements of the regime, um, it's not going to be an easy time for them if they do manage the the very uh, uphill task of getting rid of um, Erdogan and the AKP. Right. Um, so, any others that we think are going to be particularly significant um, globally, regionally, internationally, etc. I mean, not not. I haven't followed uh, Polish politics that closely, but I feel that uh, given given you know the war in Ukraine. Um, anything that any election around Eastern Europe um, could be potentially important. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, we should yeah. talk about Poland because Poland is undoubtedly significant in country for Poland, um, but also because um, for a long time we we keep put there we have this phrase of uh, Hungary and Poland, which seems to the two countries' names seems to kind of glom together as the two examples of inside the EU democratic backsliding. And if that was reduced to Hungary without Poland, um, as may possibly happen because of this election, then that is very isolating for Viktor Orban. They, obviously, the two countries have not yeah, sided, yeah. sided very closely on the war in Ukraine, but on other issues, they have been a sort of yeah, forced yeah. together um, on, on many things. Um, so, yeah, that could be potentially yeah. important. But, yeah, yeah. Um, what, what, do yeah. We think, what do we think? What's going on um, with this election? What, what do you think is going to happen? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And it's worth saying as well that, like, yeah, basically all sides of Polish politics are anti-Russia. They're not necessarily mm. pro-EU, but they're anti-Russia. Mm. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, um, yeah. Basically, the polls are kind of a little bit all over the place in in Poland right now. But mm -hmm. that itself is still significant because mm. law and justice have won the majority. Um, the last the last few elections um so um yeah it's uh, mm. it's uh, it's an interesting and and so certainly their coalition their coalition has frayed a little bit um and they um there's certainly a sense that um they're kind of weaker than they were but they are still ahead in most polls. Um, mm. There's a couple that, um, um, mm. that where they've been kind of weaker, but still, yeah, yeah, still ahead. Mm. Which is... yeah, still ahead. But I think slipped from polling in like the forties to polling in the thirties more often than not. Mm. Um, yeah, and definitely, yeah, it's a sort of gap between them and and the kind of combination of the opposition um is 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 much lower um so yeah, yeah. i mean this one is there's a as i say i think i agree with you i think there's a potential for change here but there's also this would be a very close contest and obviously this is nowhere near as gone i don't think we would say as as hungary but it is still um things have become very slanted towards the ruling party um and, yeah. and we've kind of seen yeah yeah particularly uh, in terms of media yeah yeah, particularly the media environment has been slanted incredibly strongly towards. I mean, like it's become a very 
popular joke about how kind of biased the state broadcaster has become towards the, the ruling party, for instance. Um, so yeah, it's it's a uh, yeah, it's it's tricky to know for sure. The other thing is that we'll discuss this in more detail when it comes to the Poland episode. But um, the AK, say you know. The Law and Justice won its first majority on a pretty low proportion of the vote because of vagaries of the way that um, electoral thresholds work in Poland, despite despite it having um, despite having PR. Um, so it is possible as well that the opposition remains quite split across a number of parties. Um, so it is possible that um, so, uh, that um, that could still result in an election win on quite a low proportion of the vote. Yeah, I mean, any others Any others then before we move to in-country significant, which I think is going to be a bit of an easier category to think of. Um, mm. um, Nigeria, we should definitely mention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is I mean, one of the, yeah, one of the biggest countries in Africa and, and one of the largest ones, actually, which is kind of democratic. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's actually... The, I think it's actually the largest country in Africa, isn't it? Um, may may well be. In terms of population, I think, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's getting up there in terms of wealth too. Like, it's quite close to South Africa now. Yeah, absolutely massive. 200 million people in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Mm. Huge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Nigeria is almost twice the size of Ethiopia. So, yeah, it's a really significant um country um it regionally important increasingly important i would say actually on the world stage as well because it's um, a major resource um it's a major resource exporter um it's coming up economically um it's kind of being seen as like a kind of future kind of power within uh, within africa potentially um so not not just within Africa, but on the world stage. So yeah, so that's certainly something to watch out for. Yeah, and <laughs> if I remember correctly, Nigeria has an interesting political system, whereby um, the president has to be elected by a, a certain proportion of different parts of the country. So yeah. votes, vote, you know, elections can't be won by only concentrating votes in one region. The sort of attempt to create yeah cleavages yeah because um, it's quite it's quite um a an internally complex country in terms of like the the, the ethnic groups that are represented so yeah there, there is that too it's it's it, and and elections have been increasingly competitive in recent years there was a kind of um this, this will be the end of the term of the um of of the first um non uh, not uh, so the first president not from the progressive democratic party which basically has dominated nigeria since the mm. kind of current constitution came in um and his election his initial election was the first democratic handover of power between two parties in Nigeria um, mm. it's, um, in its history. So that was a kind of significant moment. Now he's term limited 
so um it's obviously kind of um it's it's obviously a kind of interesting question of what comes next not mm. not particularly expert on nigerian politics yeah i don't really know where things stand in terms of the parties right now um but i mean me, yeah. me neither the poll the polling i looked at that, they, that i could find suggested that the candidates leading polls is um actually not from either of the two main parties um as oh well. yes i um, think so i did like hear some third, third party sort of candidate coming through yeah i think i did hear something about like some new left mm. left wing party that was kind of mm-hmm. in nigeria but like literally yeah. just yeah, mm-hmm. at the at the very yeah. least. So the fact that like the election looks like it could potentially be competitive even between three candidates, maybe. Mm. Yeah. Certainly yeah. significant. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, and that's coming up soon as well. That is um only on the on the 25th of February um for the uh for the for the president um and also for the for both houses of, of Congress mm. as well. Um, so yeah, that would be one of the one of the, the closest ones that we will cover. Um, I, I think the other one maybe most significant globally. Again, not one that I'm much of an expert on, but um, Pakistan has has should mm. be having parliamentary elections this year. So it's obviously another um, absolutely massive country, especially in terms of population. Um, and obviously, the people may be aware that uh, sort of international relations in South Asia is is um, always a bit of a, a sort of contentious and um, unstable and yeah so this, this will have regional impacts obviously but also the last parliamentary term has been somewhat uh tumultuous um in pakistan as well um and uh so yeah we'll be looking looking forward to that i don't know if you if you you've been following events in pakistan either of you particularly i could, could talk um, a more. little bit um mm-hmm. so um so yeah the, the kind of as i understand it the Controversial Prime Minister Imran Khan was removed from power. And I haven't quite fully understood where that was a democratic removal or not. Certainly, he's claiming it wasn't, <laughs> um, but I, I don't mm. fully understand what uh, what's happened there. To be honest, um, well, well, certainly, I always I was always told that. Um, Khan was was the cat, the person, and his party were, were more preferred by the Pakistani military than the other two, the other two large parties previously. Um, and they have been kind of obviously Pakistan's not under military dictatorship or anything, but the military is, is very powerful behind the scenes mm-hmm. and that they had preferred them and that perhaps that they had kind of soured on him a little bit. Um yeah. and, and, yeah. and, 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 and at least acquiesced in, in his departure um at that point uh, towards the end. Uh, um but yes uh, regardless that will be a uh, another a pretty big election with a huge electorate um that we will um that we will uh, cover um and I think that's one we will be one we will be getting a guest on for I think I don't think it's it's a country <laughs> she's yes. us knowing it in a great right. amount of detail. Um but yes um what about in country? So this is quite a probably quite a, a a long list, and obviously I think Turkey, Poland, definitely um, classify for this for those countries just because these are real. Um, do we have democracy or not? Kind of elections, um, which will also be really important. Um, but yeah, anything else? So I mean, maybe we can we can hand over to Andres for for his for what's the lowdown for Latin America then this year? What are the most significant contests we think coming up? 
I think I think the Argentinian election is going to be incredibly important. Argentina is currently the country, probably the country with the highest inflation in the world. Um, in a absolute like bonkers scenario where people are spending money because I mean, there's no incentives to save money. There is a um, there's a very important corruption scandal around the vice president, Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, who is also the president and who is in a way the most popular figure of her party, who's the official party. The president in a recent poll had only an 8% approval rating. So it's one of, it's, it's also incredibly low. Mm -hmm. um, the, the table is set for like a change of government. But at the same time, when this, I think it's going to be really interesting to talk about this. Um, something that we talked about at one point um, when we when we talked about Argentina, because they have mandatory primary, it's called mandatory simultaneous primary elections. There's a fair bit of um, uncertainty around <laughs> whether or not the opposition will will to to the government will have. You know, we'll be able to coalesce around a single candidate, whether they'll have two candidates, and whether or not the primary election could actually um, end up end up uh, strengthening the uh, Alberto, you know, Alberto Fernandez's party in a kind of strange twist of events. He even tried to, I mean, his party tried to modify the law at the end of this year to do away with the simultaneous mandatory primary election. But they it didn't it didn't pass Congress, so it's still it's still there. And in fact, Argentina's so it's going to have several elections. Um, provinces will elect um, governors and local congresses throughout the year, starting from well, starting from like the half half of the year onwards, um, and then we'll have the primary elections in August. In October, we'll have the first round. It's all going to be about. I mean, this is. I, I would. I would. I would be very doubtful that um, uh, the, the um, Alberto Fernandez's party will will stand a chance. I think it's going to be a blowout against them. Um, but uh, there are some elements for like uncertainty, and it's unclear what the government will do in the lead up to the election um, to try and kind of convince voters that they should continue voting for them. Uh, especially given you know inflation, I don't know if the government can can spend more money. I mean that that sounds doubtful because they're already they're already in a very tight situation. But um, there there might be there might be some wild economic like policies coming out of the government this year. It's going to be crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and the medicine, I mean the economic medicine that is needed for whoever comes into power if they want to stop inflation. Is going to be incredibly unpopular so it's it's the argentinian cycle of election followed by extreme austerity followed by um more expensive um economic policies but it's going to be it's going to be a very interesting election for sure mm -hmm. okay i mean and any, anywhere else in in latin america i know um so we I like to talk about Chile on this podcast because it gives us lots of elections to talk about. Um, but yes, the what is happening next with the uh, constitutional reform saga? Yeah, we'll we'll talk more about this when when the time comes. But um, I think Boric was the the current president of Chile was very smart in 
in kind of pushing forward the idea that Chile's the Chileans still want a new constitution, which I think is, is correct. It's the right interpretation of the referendum. But I think he and his party also learned that um, to, to go through the same cycle again of a popularly elected constitutional convention would entail the same risks and, and would probably not lead them to, to, to uh, a kind of a constitution that was that was um, that that was popularly supported. So they've gone for a very different approach, which is the creation of three different um, smaller groups, one of, if I remember correctly, 24 experts, followed by 50 popularly elected um, uh, members of a constitutional convention, and then 14 tech, a group of 14 technical, um, what would you call it? I don't know, technical experts. So the first group of experts will come up with a new um, a reform to the constitution, a new version of the constitution. Then there will be a popularly elected group of 50 who will be able to discuss and reform the initial project. Then um, there will be a technical committee that will review the legality of the final version of the constitution. And then it'll go for a, a referendum in, in November. Um, so between October and November, there will be discussions for that. Um, and at some point in the year, they're, they're going to elect the 50, the 50 popular represent, representatives. So towards November, we'll have a new, we'll have a new referendum to talk about and a new um, constitutional, a new draft of the constitution for Chile. It's interesting. It's going to be probably less high stakes politics. Um, I mean, it's still extremely high stakes because we're talking about the constitution, but it's going to be. I guess less showy is the word and probably um, more muted. I think everyone learned that um, having a kind of, that that parts of the constitution just need to get written without there being a lot of like public discussion until the end, mm -hmm. until the draft is, is completely set. Um, and so it's gonna be, yeah, that's gonna be, that's gonna be super interesting. Uh, I also suspect that the constitution may be more um, minimalist given that it's going mm -hmm. to be discussed by, by a smaller group of people um, rather than the kind of more maximalist type uh, yeah. draft that was discussed and defeated ultimately. Mm -hmm. Which, which I mean, probably bodes well for it passing, I would imagine. Um, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. exactly. I mean, the, the initial committee of drafters is was is going to be made up of different groups of the of Congress. So it's going to have a lot of the opposition members. So people on mm -hmm. the right as well as on the left, in in contrast to the original convention, which we, as we talked, discussed, had a very um leftwards, left, left-leaning skew, mm -hmm. which was which was great from my point of view in terms of like the 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 array of rights that could have been enshrined, but it was obviously not a very good um strategy to get something passed. Another additional thing that I think is important to, to note is that, and something that, 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 that we discussed when we talked about this last election in Chile where the constitution lost, is that Chile has gone back to mandatory voting. So in, in all of its elections, it's gonna go back to mandatory voting. So that's also kind of interesting to watch and see how that, see how, how deep changes to the Chilean electoral system really were, um, or how not how deep, how, extensive they were 
um, mandatory voting in that country will probably lead to more centrist policies, actually. So this, the period of like Boric and the, the Constitutional Convention might have partially been a result of non-mandatory voting. So very active, politi politically active people um, being disproportionately represented in, in the electorate. So that, that's also something else to watch. Um, and just because we're on the topic of Latin America, I would also put down um, Paraguay's election. Um, Paraguay is a country I don't know that much about, and, and I'll be I'll look forward to you know um, digging into into that country and its political system. It is kind of interesting though that it has one of the longest lived political party systems in Latin America. So most of Latin America has gone through um, a kind of a meltdown of the traditional party systems. It's happened throughout the continent for several reasons, many of which are have to do with like large scale political economy. Um, there's a great book by Noam Lupu about the destruction of, of uh, party brands in Latin America. Kenneth Roberts has also spoken of like the neoliberal transformations around party systems where they no longer fit the pre-existing cleavages. But Hawaii has a 19th century party that has dominated um, both during the period of dictatorship and then afterwards, since the kind of post 1950s um, and 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 onwards, post Cold War as well, it's basically dominated the the, the electoral system, the Colorado Party, the Red Party, um, and it's adapted to like more competitive elections and democracy. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see this old um, what what is what is essentially kind of a, a relic of the past a very old 19th century <laughs> party system and see how they how, how it fares in, in Paraguay. And, and to kind of understand why it is that anti-system parties have not been successful in, in Paraguay. Um, that's going to be interesting in a contrast to the rest of Latin America, which mm. has since, you know, since the end of the Cold War, favored anti-systemic kind of big personality type um, parties mm. over over stability, stable political party systems. Yeah. And also a party which has ruled in authoritarian manner in the past and then carried on winning democratically as well, um, which yeah. is always a, an interesting combination um, mm -hmm. to look at. Um, yeah, I mean, particularly significant elections, otherwise I think um, I think this, this will be a significant election for Greece um, and which the, has, is holding... Uh, legislative elections this year. So yeah, so the one thing is that there's, these elections will be held under a different electoral system than has been before. Um, this may potentially be the only election um, that they are used for, um, but they will be held um, uh, without the majority bonus, which has been used um, in most almost every previous election since the transition to democracy in the 1970s, um, wherein the largest party would usually get would get a big chunk of seats to currently 50 seats out of 300 just thrown on top of the pile for the largest party, um, which obviously helps parties achieve um, majority um, and has often been a kind of key underpinning of like a two party system. Um, this uh, Syri the Syriza government abolished, but because it didn't have enough seats. Uh, the constitution kind of requires that electoral laws have to wait until the subsequent election. Um, so this is coming into effect now. The existing government has 
already passed legislation to the effect that it will not be held for the election after that. Um, but for this election, Greece will be using quite a pro- uh, much more proportional system than we used to without the majority bonus. And if very likely, um, based on the kind of current polling, that uh, the uh, there will be no majority, uh, definitely not for the uh, the for new democracy, the large big centre right party that is running Greece at the moment. Um, and also has been uh, has been has been accused of some some measure of not on the kind of Poland level, um, but some measure of of some democratic backsliding, um, uh, by by from some quarters as well, especially in relation to kind of uh, media and and academic free freedom, um, as well. So this uh, that we also have the fact that the uh, the kind of descendant the descendant of the of the Pasok Party that. Um, which would become kind of infamous in some circles as this uh, big centre-left party, which was very, very dominant in in Greece um, for, for so long, but then was completely obliterated by the uh, by the financial crisis, um, and even coined this term of the of pacification of social democratic parties that were were turned into kind of uh, parliamentary minnows by um, in in the last decade. Um, looks as though it, it may not be returning to its power, but may have sort of re-established itself as a uh, as a player, at least um, to some some degrees. Now, sort of polls in the in the in the teens a bit as well. So, potential for coalitions, uh, potential for kind of fighting on the left. I think over who's going to be the kind of largest opponent uh, towards new democracy. Um, but yeah, it will be an interesting one for Greece, an interesting dynamic, and obviously at a time when relations with Turkey are quite tense as well. Um, it's going to figure quite prominently in the election. Yeah, I, I just add a couple, a couple of points as well. Um, it, it's not actually the first time that they had election without the majority bonus. Mm. There, it was there one in the late eighties, right? Three in three. Yeah. Um, yes. In, yeah. Nineteen eighty-two in nineteen eighty-nine and one in nineteen ninety, um, where. They 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 didn't have this, uh, and and it resulted in a lot of political instability, as you can tell upon the fact that there are free elections. They <laughs> finally managed to um, re-establish the majority bonus and have a majority government again. I think that is probably telling, in a sense, for um, what might happen here, because. Um, um, because uh, because the the reason why this situation has come about is because of kind of Greek constitutional rule, which basically says that if you change the electoral system, that electoral system change doesn't kick in until the, the election after the one that you do it before. <laughs> so um, that change, the change that's coming in, was done by Syriza at the tail end of like its government. And new democracy have already changed the electoral system for the election after this one. <laughs> so there's good reason for parliamentary chicanery to try and um, get things to another election as soon as possible after this one, without making it too obvious that that's what you're doing. And so I have a kind of strong suspicion that that's kind of what might end up happening. <laughs> Is that we might just end up with two Greek elections this year, one mm-hmm. the second of which ends up being fought under the majority supremacist system, mm-hmm. which uh, provides new democracy with a majority. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. 
that that's just speculation on my part knowing the kind of institutional structures and what's ha what's happened in greece in the past i don't think i don't think pasok is very interested in forming a government for series actually mm. um, there's still quite a lot of distance between those two parties Mm -hmm. um, yes, no, I would I would agree that's probably the most likely outcome, although I think mm -hmm. we've spoken on the podcast before how that like, in the long run, that electoral system probably turned out to be a disadvantage, especially when it came to the kind of crisis that Greece ended up in, um, uh, mm -hmm. in a decade or so ago at this point, um, when it came to forming um, national it's, it's sort of coalition governments and stuff at that point um it mm. wasn't particularly good given the kind of state of polarization in the country i remember that the greece greece especially um in the first sort of couple of decades after the transition was incredibly polarized between the two largest parties um on the on this on this point um and and yeah and then this this system really helped to reinforce that um between between the two of them yeah um, i mean yeah it's always been polarized, even at the point where, mm. like, it was kind of quite, um, kind of like red in like the two thousands that PASOK and New Democracy were really close together ideologically, mm. but they still hated each other's guts. <laughs> I absolutely mm. had well, nothing to do with each other, um, and like so, there was a kind of polarization. Mm. in that yeah. sense rather than a kind of ideological sense mm. yeah um, i mean and then the 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 80s are always um if you go back to the 80s it's always notable as, as the era of the um was known as the blue and green cafes in um especially in the countryside mm. in greece um whereas it would be in the colors of the two largest parties and then that they would villages would have two coffee shops and see coffee drinking being a big part of uh, greek culture and there would be two coffee shops and um Passock supporters would go to one and new democracy supporters would go to the mm. other. Um, and they would not really mix too much. High levels of effective polarization, as we say in uh, political science, which just means that um, you don't like other people, um, basically, on, on a societal <laughs> yeah. level. Uh, a fancy way of saying that. Uh, yes. Um, okay. Any any others that would be, we think, particularly important internally before we move on to some of the ones that we just like because we're big nerds? Um. Feel like we should mention Cyprus as well, given that mm -hmm. we just talked Greece, um, which does look like quite likely to secure a change of government essentially, albeit it's a slightly odd one. I mean, it, so we discussed Cyprus in the part in the past, and I can't exactly remember exactly when, but we discussed it when um, the last legislative election happened in Cyprus. This is the presidential, which happens on a different cycle. Um, but the presidential Cyprus is a very presidential republic. <laughs> the president is more more important than legislature. Um, quite rarely in Europe. Um, and Cyprus has also kind of got a problem that all the parties have become very unpopular. Um, they're the kind of three main ones classically. Um, AKL, which has frequently been, which is officially a communist party, but really has been kind of more of a kind of democratic party of the left in, in especially in recent years, um, has been quite moderate in terms of its position on, um, on, on liberal democracy. But 
still has very kind of strong left-wing credentials, had one, has only elected president once, um, although supported presidents in the past who've won, who weren't of the party officially. That president was is seen very negatively. <laughs> it was not a popular term in government. Um, and that's basically left the party quite discredited. Um, it, their primary opponents, Dissi, the party of the kind of right, basically, um, have been have had the presidency since the um, since Akel left office, and they have become quite unpopular too um, because of a combination of um, like harsh austerity measures that they've implemented and corruption um, amongst other um, issues. And the third party in um, Cyprus, um, Daiko, has also become very unpopular, um, partially because they don't seem to know what they stand for, partially because their current leader is very unpopular. Um, all bunch of um, kind of big set of kind of institutional problems that Daiko has has at the moment. So this is kind of turning into an interesting election in that. Dissi, in that the president is term limited, so there has to be a new one. Um, and he's, um, and Dissi have picked a candidate, um, but he's not polling terribly well. Um, he's basically, AKR supporting an independent, but he's not doing particularly well either because he's backed by AKL. <laughs> and those two candidates are basically tied for second are uh, basically very close to tied for second and third right now candidates who's ahead is another independent um who's been backed by daiko but who is actually the who was the dissi foreign minister until last year <laughs> so it's a kind of interesting situation in terms of like the, the the candidates who've emerged. Um, I, I would like to have a time to kind of read a little bit more into things, but yeah, um, that looks like it could be an, an interesting election in terms of like who ends up sat around the cabinet table um, um, towards the kind of middle of, uh, middle of this year after the election's taken place. Okay, and I think we should probably um this will kind of bridge into the next one because obviously listeners will know that I have a particular kind of research interest in, in Spanish politics, um, but this is a bit bumper election year for Spain. Um, this is also going to be a phenomenally close election, I, I, I would imagine. Mm. Um, so Spain, Spain is, is at the end of the year probably, is going to be holding uh, kind of national elections. Um, but at the same time, we have a big um, big set of elections earlier in the year um, where we will have uh, local elections across the entire country. And then for most mm. of the, the most of the country, um, although much less than in previous years, we'll be having uh, regional elections um, as well. I say much less than in previous years because increasingly um, uh, over the last sort of five or so years, uh, some a lot of the regions that used to go together in this big, Kind of massive set of regional elections have begun to uh, have begun to hold kind of 
um, snap elections or elections slightly different from the kind of national timetable as well. And we've got many more that that don't happen simultaneously in the, in this way. But this is still a, still a massive um, chunk of the country, uh, which will be going to the polls um, for these very powerful um, regional bodies as well, which will be a big test for the party strengths ahead of the um, election in December. Um, the big thing is that, that the in the last year we saw the the uh, the Pepe, the, the big party of the right, um, which had been kind of languishing for a few years, changed its leader to someone who was kind of perceived to be a, a bit more moderate and had. Um, begun to take the lead again in the in the polls over um, uh, the president uh, Pedro Sanchez's um, socialists. However, the polls have now started to close again. Um, Sanchez also has this reputation as somebody who who sort of gets out of uh, gets out of scrapes um, from people people don't. I would not really write him out at all. I think this one is going to be a really close one. And I suppose if I was to bet, I'd probably bet that he managed to cling on just about. Um, towards the end of the year, especially if the kind of um, uh, sort of inflation and stuff has, has, has gone down, come, starts coming down a little bit again um, on this one. But it, it, I think this, then the next legislature is going to be incredibly tight, uh, possibly even more reliant on um, the votes of uh, Catalan parties um, than the previous one um, as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, it's also one that because the, the, the parties to the left of um, of the socialists are undergoing this uh, something of a reformulation at the moment. Um, they'd been running under this kind of Unidas Podemos alliance um, previously, um, but they are now uh, they now seem to be uh, a little bit of uncertainty at the moment as it's like what exactly format that they will uh, they will run on um, at the moment. The uh, kind of the deputy prime minister of Spain, Yolanda Diaz, who is from the from the more kind of older segment of the left, she's not from Podemos, she's from the kind of United Left and the, the Spanish Communist Party, um, but is, is a very popular figure in Spain um, and has, has, has sort of tried to make moves to sort of broaden out the kind of left coalition, include other sort of smaller parties as well, um, and, and found this kind of new platform um, to to contest the, the election. And it, it's unclear at this moment whether Podemos will be included um, in this. Um, I would expect that they would all be around the table um, under this banner by the election, um, hopefully at least um, but for the for their for their sake, um, because the Spanish electoral system, as we pointed out before, while not being first past the post, is is built around these quite small electoral districts a lot of the time, which um, penalizes kind of which side of the political spectrum is is divided um, a lot. Obviously, if the right takes control, um, then this will be a um, is is going to open up another chapter in the, uh, the sort of ongoing Catalan crisis, um, which has been seen to the as Spanish governments go, Sanchez's one has been relatively conciliatory, and there has been some attempts at, at, at sort of trying to trying to at least, if not find solutions to cool things down a little bit um the return of the power of the right and uh, now including um a huge uh, a pretty large parliamentary group of, of vox mps that will be um sort of uh, needed for the majority um will probably uh, imagine take a turn for the worse in that again um given although although the current 
president, the current leader of Pepe is, is much more moderate. Some of the stuff that party has been saying about Catalonia, especially in, in recent years, has uh, not been uh, very pleasant to, to hear. Um, so, yeah, so it may, may open up this this again, uh, something which is which has receded from the headlines a little bit in recent years, may become more relevant once more. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to following the Spanish election too and see mm. how how Podemos fares. I mean, they did terribly in Madrid, right? Um mm -hmm. so it's yeah, um it's it, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see whether or not you know there's any if there's still strength in their if they can still appeal mm. to voters. Um and they're they're, they're they seem to be in a way, losing their voters, either to like regional parties in certain certain of the provinces or the communities, the autonomous communities, but then also losing voters, maybe maybe to Vox, I don't know, or to the PSOE. Um, mm. Seems, yeah, what you know, they 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 seem very weakened. Um, that's interesting to see that. Um, yeah, I mean the, this the. They are they are down on what they they were. I mean, the national polling does still show them are around like ten percent vote as the, in the kind of current formulation. Um, the the thing is, yeah, Diaz is is a popular candidate, and if the left can unite around her on on this, I think this is probably the best shot um, for sort of returning. I mean, it, it need the the pass away as well. Um, obviously, the two of them together, but yeah, this that for me, if they this as we've we've talked before. The Spanish electoral system often will uh, will reward the kind of side of the political spectrum that is the most united around um, uh, around mm. the two, one or two parties. Um, in the last few elections, that has been the left, which primarily had two lists, uh, two um, going in, and it's kind of brought this broad uh, sort of more radical left organization and then the socialists and then the right had um was divided in three between the Pepe, vox and uh citizens citizens is is um almost completely collapsed to the point where it, it, it may i think at max get about one seat or something um in the in in this in these kind of upcoming elections um and is looking a bit more united at the moment um but say this may not be the case in and um, in by december and things are narrowing quite considerably in the polls uh so this will be a i think a really tense and close and uh quite probably quite an exciting campaign to follow um as well when it comes to it. Hmm. okay it's going to be or a year basically um i mean a lot of interesting elections and i think one of the cool things is um it'll force us to also talk about countries that we haven't spoken of before mm -hmm. like there's 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 only like three american three elections in the u.s they're all um governor's races they're not terribly mm. exciting um but there's some really exciting um elections in europe asia africa mm -hmm. yeah i mean anything that we've not spoken about that you're particularly excited about andros to to cover um, actually, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to, um, I mean, in addition to, to the, the country we talked about, Guatemala, which um, we haven't spoken of. I think we've we've covered basically all, maybe we're missing Panama and Belize, but we've spoken about um, several Central American countries. Guatemala has 
it's uh it's gone through so many um uh, like political crises lately in the last few years and the daughter of a terrible dictator is, is going to be on the ballot and she she's pretty popular um but it's a, it's an interesting country to to look at um and i think i know very little about thailand um but i think mm. it could be potentially very yeah important. that's going to be a really important election for thailand actually um albeit basically part of a recurring decades-long political crisis that Thailand has basically been having, where um, the public keeps electing um, people who support the former Prime Minister Taksin um, Shinawata, um, despite the fact that, and then the military and the monarchy who hate Shinawata with an absolute passion um, will occasionally will basically tolerate a government of Shinawata supporters for about a couple of years before they decide to launch a coup. <laughs> um, so uh, they keep, every time they do it, they keep trying to write another constitution that's supposed to stop Shinawata from coming to power again, and it doesn't happen. <laughs> um, so yeah, we may be about to go through it. So I, I wouldn't be surprised looking at the polling, which shows the it shows shows the um, the current incarnation of the Shinawatra Party brand, which is now led by his daughter, um, who's a year younger than me. So <laughs> um, so um, we're like way ahead of all other political parties. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would be very surprised if she doesn't win, but also given previous history, I would be surprised if she does win, if the current constitutional setup of Thailand lasts more than a few years. Speaking of mm -hmm. uh, chronic instability, um, there's no no election is guaranteed for Peru. It's actually scheduled for 2024, cutting mm. both the parliamentary and the presidential term short by two years. But it, we might see an election in 2023. It's basically the only um, the only pressure valve that the current president um, has, and 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 as well as the Congress. So. Mm. That, that could also be interesting to look at after the political crisis with Pedro Castillo, which is a, a product of like structural instability. Mm -hmm. um, there is a small possibility that we'll also see a Peruvian election. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, I was going to ask you locally, is, are there any regional elections? You're, you're a regional expert, Jonathan. Um. Well, so I mean, well, for, for the UK, there are like there's there's just some councils. I mean, that's not bad. I mean, although we we have not, don't think we. I mean, Chris, do we we know when if this Northern Ireland thing is is happening or not? Has they actually scheduled it yet? Or no, uh, they haven't. No, yeah, it's but, still not coming. That will be um, at some point, possibly. Yeah, the the local elections in England are kind of an interesting set, and in that they're very rural but it actually is the mm. largest set of set largest set of councillors up and and the the set of councils that covers the largest number of people in england 
So it's quite a significant contest on the national level, even though you, even though even most listeners who are from the UK are probably going to struggle a little bit to put on the map with the places that we had to mm. discuss together. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So yeah, they're not significant yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. areas. And an interesting regional election will be um, the Berlin elections, which is actually mm. they have been for the courts are actually forcing the state to repeat of the regional, the state and the uh, local elections, um, which were held alongside the federal elections in Germany in, in 2021. Um, we found that they, they just the, the court said that the said the elections weren't up to scratch. There was too many too many complaints. Some of them not that there was like necessarily parties manipulating them but they they just weren't the procedures weren't weren't uh, weren't good enough according to the law um so the elections are being redone um although the polls i don't think are looking like that the government is going to change particularly um the parties are all looking um relatively similar to where they where they were and at least i don't think the government's kind of majority is in is in uh is in too much trouble but it's just an interesting little story um yeah the, the, this courts have ordered um especially in, like quite way after the original election ordering them to be uh redone um as well um yeah i mean otherwise regionally there is a lot in canada this year since like mm. half of the provinces have elections almost um the going on um and as well and i think this uh there will be uh provincial elections in the netherlands or something as we will cover and there's a couple of other german uh, German lander, including Bavaria, the the, the big one, um, which will be which will be up for election. I think personally, I'm just because I finally find these countries' politics very interesting. Although they might not be the most uh, the most thrilling ones this time, uh, both Finland and Estonia next to each other with very similar language yeah. um, are doing uh, their elections this year as well. Um, and okay. I think Estonia is always a really fascinating one to talk to because for a uh post-communist country it has such a like consolidated party system um yeah. as well and there's some really interesting reasons and they, they kind of how they've um which we'll talk about at the time of how they've kind of almost sort of crafted that through um kind of party regulation in some ways as well um yeah kind of gone for that yeah um, as that, well as that, kind of social yeah. reasons but yeah that's going to be interesting yeah i mean estonia was a fairly predictable election i would say um mm-hmm. Um, like the Reform Party tends to win most elections in Estonia and is well ahead right now. I'll <laughs> um, be like who their coalition partners will be is kind of unclear. Um, and then yeah, but Finland I think is a really interesting election. Um, I mean, Finnish elections are always quite interesting because, um, but yeah, this is yeah, this is going to be an um, quite a, 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 a this is really um yeah quite a close election in Finland I would say um, mm. it's yeah it's which is yeah I think this is going to mm. be interesting because Finland we always talked about the one that the Nordic country which didn't fit that um, pattern of the of the two blocks kind mm. of going going up um uh, and that yeah used to get these really big broad coalitions across the spectrum like all the time that yeah. would look really weird well, from outside like greens and social democrats and conservatives and stuff all in the same thing yeah well whereas it, yeah the, the significant thing of finland is that 
from um, it, the kind of unusual thing about Finland is that historically it's almost kind of been a three party system in like the truest sense, in that there have been three political parties that have dependably provide, provided um, prime ministers in Finland over the last, um, in, in, um, during its history. Um, and, and sometimes it's looked a little bit more like a four party system. And we're kind of entering, we're kind of on one of those periods right now, but historically the fourth party was the Communist Party. Finland's actually one of the few countries where a, a Communist Party can be said to have won an election uh, democratically, <laughs> um, albeit they didn't form a government. Um, now it's a right-wing populist force um, is um, the sometimes usually called the Finns party in English. Um, and um, so, yeah, that creates mm. kind of messiness. Um, mm. But governments in Finland are often very bored, um, as you see. Yeah. Um, but the, the, government... thing about th the thing about the, this one, though, is that it's been, I think, much more cohesive than many in the past, and maybe the previous one, actually, as well. Um, that we had two governments which have been like the one I think we could quite easily describe the 2015 to 2019 government as a centre-right government and this one as a centre-left government without too much yeah. trouble um, in many ways yeah, um, yeah. which is Ma which is a bit bit unique for for, for Finland yeah um, Ma so, yeah uh, to be fair most governments um most government in most governments the centre party which um frequently which has frequently provided the prime minister and or been significant in other ways um, during the period where Finland was a more presidential style constitution well more semi-presidential but the, um, the president was quite powerful the kind of significant president for a long period was was from the center party um but frequently acted as a hinge party so the center party has frequently just chosen who would be the prime minister um for long periods that was um the sdp um but um th they have gone through periods of being more aligned with the center right um, so, mm -hmm. yeah yeah but yeah this will be uh, this will be an interesting one and especially because um now for now everybody around the world knows who the prime minister of finland is and talks about her all the time um which is yeah. a really weird <laughs> thing for finland i think i might imagine yeah uh, but yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, hmm. so maybe a bit more eyes on that one than perhaps there has been in the past i would guess a little bit yeah um I, so yeah I mean, but that's that's gonna be interesting yeah and it is an interesting government too because like a lot of attention has been obviously put on the partially because of the fact that she's quite young and you know, obviously attractive, but it, it, so, so of the five parties in government, um, so the five parties in government are all led by women, <laughs> and she's actually one of the older ones. <laughs> so, um, she, um, the, the, like most of them are in their thirties, um, early thirties. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah, Finland's often been yeah. a trailblazer on 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 feminism. Mm -hmm. So the first country to ever, for example, have um, have democratically elected prime minister and uh, president 
who are both women. Um, uh, yeah, examples. Mm-hmm. List off kind of a bunch of examples of kind of gender equality for gender mm-hmm. and Finnish history. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, any other elections we want to give a bit of a shout out to? Um, before we move on. Um, I would be miffed if I didn't mention Bulgaria. <laughs> Suppose to say, um, long-time listeners will not be surprised to hear that Bulgaria is having yet another election, and we may well have further elections beyond that, given the state of the polling. Um, so look mm-hmm. forward to hearing a lot more about Bulgaria in 2023. Um, <laughs> I will never be free. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, one, of the, a... one of the fascinating things about uh, following elections is uncertainty is baked into them. Um, yeah. Mm. So yeah, you know, it's it's also there's a yeah. limit to how much we can predict which ones which ones will be. The oh, interesting. and another one I'd like to mention as well is New Zealand, um, which is looking surprisingly, uh, I um, surprisingly close. I think depending for most people, given like perceptions of where New Zealand politics mm. has been. Um, the polls yeah. right now are actually very slightly advantaging, advantaging the nationals, but we'll see. It may, may well be the case that, um, you know, things... It, it's not infrequent that um, elections swing a little bit, polls swing a little bit towards the government as you get closer mm. towards an election. So it might be the case that yeah. um, Labour were able to make up that grant, uh, um, just into a, a, a dense Labour were able to make up some ground there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, d- I don't know how I don't know why I blanked on that one for some reason. Um, I completely forgot to write yeah. it down on the list as well. Um, yeah, no, yeah, New Zealand. Yeah, that will be that will be a, a big one as well. Um, I think we also what is scheduled to later this year have parliamentary elections is Ukraine um obviously mm. there is a huge question mark over whether those will happen or not um I guess we will have to be following the progress of the conflicts yeah. over the over the course of the year as well if they are held uh, then I think that is that, that is saying something very good um about that as well uh, I yeah, don't know uh, about the I'm... constitution what the constitution allows for in terms of um, yeah. postponement. I mean, um, I, but, yeah. I, I, I would not be surprised at all if they hold them, um, even if some regions of the country perhaps can't participate, mm-hmm. um, for the simple reason that um, the Ukrainian government has been very much trying to pursue the idea that Ukraine is capable of still running things um, like an old, like a normal country um, during this, like they were very upset about the fact that Eurovision, understandably, decided mm-hmm. that they can hold hold um, hold themselves in U- in Ukraine this this year, and I and I think having a national election is probably something that they would prioritise more than Eurovision. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and they've also been doing things like you know trying to boost the idea that kind of the trains are running like normally as possible yeah. and things like that. So I, mm. I would be I would not be surprised at all if they do succeed mm. in ho- holding an election. Yeah. Would yeah, be a 
a very oh. interesting contest to follow, especially considering all of the pro-Russian parties have been were sort of banned in last summer um, as yeah. well. Um, there, as far as I can tell, been one poll carried out since the start of the invasion, mm. uh, which unsurprisingly put Zelensky's Servant of the People Party on 52% of the vote. Um, I would not be surprised as far as that went higher um, as well. Yeah. Um, there's probably, yeah, it, we can probably see a good rally around the flag kind of effect. It's also going to be like, I, I think it'd be, I, I'm very much hoping that they're going to be able to hold these, um, but also like it will be very interesting to, to be, because we don't have many cases of this of democracies like being invaded and then holding elections like doesn't ha- hasn't happened very much for a long time. Yeah. Um. So yeah, this is this will be an interesting. Yeah. Um, an interesting. Yeah. Case. To be fair, Ukraine does kind of have um, prior on this because you know a lot of mm. previous elections that have happened, parts of the country were being um, mm. essentially invaded. Um. But obviously the war is. Not not on the now. on the scale, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. 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 At that point, the Russians were hadn't literally tried to take Kiev. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and yeah, and now as a, to the point of like whether all regions can, can to take part. I mean, uh, Crimea hasn't taken part in the last few. Neither have parts of the Donbass already. Um, yeah. So yeah. yeah, I mean, so they would be. Exactly. Uh, they, they have they also have experience of that kind of thing as well um yes so that will yeah. be an interesting one to watch out with um towards the end of the year as well mm-hmm. right um okay well i think what we've also said that we'd we've obviously talked about what we kind of think might happen in some of the kind of core elections coming up um does anybody have any, any general feelings predictions for the year ahead in electoral politics I mean, I think one thing to say is that probably in most of Europe, at least, I think it's probably going to be a tricky environment for incumbent governments because of the cost of living crisis. Um, mm-hmm. That's probably true in most of the world as well, to be fair. Um, like, it looks like, from what I understand of economic projections, um, inflation is going to come down probably in most of the world over this year. Um, and it's probably also going to be, the, but there's also quite likely that a number of countries are going to officially slip into recession. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, still kind of troubled economic times. Perhaps a little, a little bit of light at the, t- at the end of the tunnel, but um, yeah, it's still kind of a troubled period. But you think things may well look brighter for incumbent governments towards the end of the year. Um, yeah, which is one of the reasons why Pedro Sanchez is saying that like it's going to hit stick with the kind of um, unorthodox like December date, which is a relic of the fact that the last election was a snap election and had to be held in December. Um, mm. And is is trying to has been, been saying that like yeah they they were they're not going to do anything earlier in the year at all, even though um, that it that would probably be the more kind of normal thing to do. Um, yeah, obviously hoping that things will be picked up considerably by. Um, by that point um as well and that those issues have kind of faded from the agenda a little bit um as well mm-hmm. but yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh, right. okay any other any other predictions for what's coming up 
I mean, obviously, it's hard to make predictions for the for the world, isn't it? I suppose so. Yeah, I mean, we weren't going to do much else yeah. on that. I, I'm um, going yeah. to I'm going to predict that uh, Chile will have a new constitution by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Argentina will have a new president. Turkey will be uh, somewhat, I think, chaotic. Although mm-hmm. maybe I'm going to be um, optimistic about Turkey and say that. Mm. International pressure will be enough to to get everyone to step down. I I mean, I think the thing with Turkey ultimately is that when that when elections have been quite clearly won by the opposition, um, they that they that result has tended to stand somehow. It might go through like. You know, relitigation somehow, like, um, like the famous, um, was it the mayoral election in Istanbul? Mm-hmm. Where, yeah, in 2019, where the opposition won it, so, um, so the government like made up a bunch of irregularities and said that, hey, we gotta rerun the election again, and that basically just wound up the people of Istanbul. So they voted the mayor in with a larger majority. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, I, so I wouldn't be surprised if we get something like uh, that happening. But I would be surprised if Erdogan is still the president of this year, just <laughs> given how bad the polling is for him. Um, it might be the case that what I wouldn't be surprised at all if whatever um, it, it, that whoever wins finds it very hard to govern um, because uh-huh. of the kind of mix of parties that they're going to have to try and work with. But um, yeah, I would I would be surprised if Erdogan was still officially the president. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, um, yeah, I'm I'm going to be slightly more optimistic on that as well. I mean, I think there's a sense, and I know. A lot of um, a lot of people were quite burnt by the twenty eighteen result, um, which um, was, was people were quite quite hopeful for that the, it was um, it was going to Erdogan was defeated in the second round and then they ended up winning in the first round. Um, but yeah, I think that the, the I, I cannot particularly see them squeezing a kind of legitimate popular vote win out of this one um, at all. So it's, it's just a matter of kind of like how badly the fallout, how bad the fallout of this is. Um, I think um, going forward, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, should we? Are we done? Should we leave it there for this win? This one? Yeah. I think it's a good, a good selection of stuff to to look forward to as well. Um, and then obviously, I definitely will will be surprises coming along at some point as well. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, all right. We'll see everyone next week and happy new year. Happy new year. Happy new year. Happy new year.